Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and our guest this week is Andy Fuller from the University of Notre Dame. Andy, how are you doing? Doing great, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for doing this. We have a friend in common, your former high school classmate and my fiance, Dana Barrett Raby. Um, I would love to ask you all kinds of questions about what Dana was like in high school and get that on the permanent record, but she would probably no longer be my fiance if I did that. So we'll stare away from that. Exactly. Or you better be a very savvy editor, one of the two. Um, <laughs> absolutely. I do think the world of Dana, she's, she's awesome. So all the best to you, too. Well, I agree. Well, thank you so much. Well, we're not here to talk about Dana. We're here to talk about you and your career path and your work at the University of Notre Dame. And I want to start with your career path. If you could tell me a little bit about what you were thinking about career-wise when you were younger, what did you do about that? And then did you pivot? And if so, how did that take you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so actually, my career path starts back when I knew Dana back in high school. Um, I knew right then that uh, uh, I wanted to be in television news. So I wanted to be a news anchor and uh, knew that in high school and you know tried to do things that kind of um, worked with voice and, and, and things like that. Um, in college, that was my major. I stuck to it. Um, wanted to was, be a new was there anything specific that inspired you to do that? Was there someone you saw in the media who said, I want to be like that person? Was it any family connection or was it just randomness? No, it's funny. My, uh, my dad, uh, was, was a pastor of a church and, um, you know, so it's not like he was in news or anything like that. He watched a lot of news and I thought what they were doing on the screen was interesting. They're telling people what they needed to know about their day. Yeah. Um, so, so that may have been something I picked up kind of in the house, but there wasn't anyone who like inspired me. I didn't hear a talk from anyone or, or anything like that. I just think this is, sounds cool. And this is something I want to do. And sure enough, after graduating from Bethel university here in Mishawaka, uh, like a week after graduation, I got that gig. I was a morning news anchor. For, for four years. And um, news, though, is one of those um, professions that you know kind of early on whether you're going to do it for your whole life. And I knew when my wife and I had our first first daughter, like, this is not, for me, this is not um, not what I want to do long term. So I, I had a decision to make is either um, continue on, see if, you know, try this thing a little while longer up in, up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, actually, or get into politics. And I chose the latter. I, uh, I joke with people. I say, yeah, I was in TV, then I wanted a more honest line of work, and so I got into politics. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I was communications director for a U.S. congressman uh, for, yeah. for a few years, and I was based in the, uh, the district in Joliet, Illinois. I'd go out to D.C. every so often. Um, and it was really, it was really interesting. You're kind of on the other side of the camera there and you're, you're learning about narratives. You're learning about messaging, how to craft these things, how to, how to penetrate noise. Um, around that time, uh, a website called youtube.com, um, it's still around today, uh, was, was just starting. So I was getting my feet wet in, in that. Um, and then the congressman retired and uh, I kind of transitioned into more traditional PR right at the time where the way brands talk to their audiences, <coughs> excuse me, was starting to change. 
So I say I'm one of the, the few people who was working in social media, um, you know, for more than 12 years. Yeah. Uh, so we're launching some of those uh, accounts. Um, and I was at a PR agency in, in South Bend for a few years before making um, the transition to, to Notre Dame. Been at the that university was, here that for billing, correct? Billing, yes. Yeah. Billing, South Bend. Yeah, I actually bumped into a former Villing employee. Uh, I think his first name was Scott. Um, we were both, Asher and Villing were both pitching the same business and something happened that doesn't usually happen at those sort of info sessions. He and I kind of hit it off. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you worked with Scott, but he seemed like a great guy. And that's my only exposure to Villing, I think. Uh, as a matter of fact, Scott, if, I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about. Scott has come over here to join me at Notre Dame. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny. We um, we went through a reorg, and that's how I got this job. And we needed to fill um, kind of the the head of Notre Dame's in-house ad agency, and yeah. Scott came over to fill that role. So Scott is uh, a great oh, wow. guy. He's he's yeah. with us under the dome now. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I guess it's a smaller world than I even imagined. All right. Yeah. So um, so sorry, I cut you off there. So keep going. Take us from Villing to how you get to where you are today. Yeah. So. Um, I was in a role at Villing and they were looking for almost the exact same role at Notre Dame. So I was just in the right place at the right time. I started kind of as a, a lead account manager in, in Notre Dame's um, uh, in-house ad agency um, and then moved over to this role uh, as director of strategic content for, um, <clears throat> I've been in it for about seven years, about 2015, I think was when we, we launched our team. Okay, so when you first were thinking of coming on board at the University of Notre Dame, was it intimidating? Were you like, nah, I got this? Was it somewhere in between? You know, it's it's obviously one of the most prestigious names in higher ed in the world, and certainly, you know, something that's well recognized. I, I don't know if you and I have a similar personality, but one of my first thoughts would be, I sure don't want to break anything. Did you have any of that, or are you pretty confident going into that job? No, I, I definitely had that. I think um, anyone, um, you know, part of the appeal to me was kind of working with a big name and in, in, a, in a big brand. Um, yeah. You know, I'm curious about how it got there and, and who were the people kind of making making that work. Um, you know, when I was at, at Villing, um, one of my, my main clients, in fact, my only client that was servicing was major name in the, the fast food restaurant uh, industry. So I was that kind of appealed to me, like the big name, the recognition. But yeah, when you walk in and you know you you pass by the dome and uh, you know you start remembering where you are from time to time. Yes, I, even to this day, I still get some like, oh man, uh, you know, and a little bit of imposter syndrome starts to creep in from time to yeah. time, and uh, you're like, but you know, as long as as long as they'll have me, I'll <laughs> I'll still I'll still do it. So yeah. Yeah, well, that's great. So tell me a little bit about your team. I understand, is it still true that you work with your brother? Yeah, it, okay. it is true. Um, you know, I, not to go real deep on, on org charts or anything like that, but uh, my team is called Strategic Content, and we are the university's storytellers. So we're, um, we're producing a lot of um, content for our, uh, our central digital channels. You think about the university homepage, you think about... Um, uh, our, our main social channels, things like that. And, and we're filling those channels with, with stories about the life and work of, of the university. 
So we'll pull in um, the video group, which is where my brother works uh, from time to time. We'll pull in uh, photography. We'll pull in, um, we handle most of our web development, but if we need a developer, we'll pull in from another uh, team in the division. So we work with um, our, our colleagues within the division uh, to, to really produce a lot of our work, but um, uh, our unit ourselves is, is made up of myself, a writer, our social media manager, a designer, um, our project manager, and a and a data scientist who just runs numbers and tells us how, how we're performing. So we're a small team, but when we attach ourselves to these other units on um, in our division, you know, we become much stronger and can produce a, a much much better product. And and one of the products you produce is something called ND Stories. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Were you involved at the outset, and how has that grown and changed in the time it's been it's been out there? Yeah, Notre Dame Stories is uh, it's a couple different things. It's what it's what it's the term we use to to talk about all of our content. So if you go uh, to the Notre Dame homepage, more often than not, you'll see one of our stories and kind of the, the hero spot, and it's branded Notre Dame Stories, and and we wanted. Um, people to kind of know that this is content from the university um, that isn't the normal news release, not that there's anything wrong with that. Our division still still does a ton of them and, and they're, they're very important. But we wanted to um, invite people in and, and signal from the outset that what they're about to experience is maybe a little different um, in, in higher ed or, or not necessarily on the web, but certainly in, in, in higher ed. Um, so yeah, we were, we were, we formed that ourselves. Um, and it's also the name of our podcast, um, with, which I host, uh, there's stories.nd.edu, which is going to, to undergo a revamp. But right now that's our main video platform. That's where you can watch a lot of videos about game. And, you know, again, it's a branding exercise to tell people a little bit about the content they're about to experience before they actually sit down and, and devote time to um, a 3,000 word story, which which we do uh, a lot of, as a matter of fact. Um, it, it's gone well. I think right now um, we're asking some hard questions coming out of COVID. Um, these are questions we, we started asking, in, uh, you know, about this time in 2020 and then got obviously sidetracked. Um, I think what we're going to see is is a pivot to um, invest more in our, our social channels as standalone storytelling um, platforms. Um, and, and not that we won't still do the long form stuff on the web, but I think the balance is going to start to shift a little bit. We just got a new vice president in our division, and I, I think that's the direction that, that he's going to take us here in the next year plus. Is is some of that in response to in response to shrinking attention spans, putting the content where people are instead of getting them to come to you? Is all of that what's motivating it, or are there other motivations? Yeah, you know, it, a little bit just on the attention span thing. I, it, it's interesting. We we you know one of the stats that we monitor heavily uh, to make sure we're, we're still hitting the mark is time on page. Um, you know, it, it's it's obviously not. There's more to it than that. But as long as we know that people have been on our story for several minutes, we uh, we feel pretty good that uh, they're engaging with long form content. And you know, I tell people that that yes, attention spans are, are what they are. But also remember, um, one of the biggest content consumption trends in in our day and age is binge watching. I mean, people will sit yeah. in front of Netflix for hours. Right. Um, 
Yeah. You know, so so I think the challenge is to be as interesting as some of those Netflix um, uh, series that are that are getting yeah. viewed for, for hours on end. And that's the real challenge, I think, for marketers and folks who are producing content right now. So, you know, that's the, the attention span thing. I do think that uh, we just got some research that I'm not at liberty to, like, go really deep into. Sure. But I think what people are telling us you know, what they, what they want uh, or what we need to be better at uh, with Notre Dame is just more, th- more things out there. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think our volume um, needs to be higher. Yeah. And, 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 and that's hard when you, when you are devoting so much time to produce, you know, these, these pieces that, that, that we have on the web. So I think it's a volume thing is the main yeah. thing. Uh, and, and all the engagement metrics that go along with, with just more stuff out there in the ecosystem. Yeah, well, and it's it's both quality and quantity in today's environment. You can't you can't you know re- relax too much on the quality, or it won't compete. But you have to produce more of it because there's more platforms and more content competing against it. What you said about attention spans is really similar to one of the things I tell students in one of my classes. I say people will watch a two-hour video; they just happen to be called movies. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's true. And that's really, you know, sort of a responsibility for content creators to do better, to to not be so brand centric that you forget that the audience's perspective matters too. Hundred percent correct. Um, Howard Gossage, who was this ad guy way back, you know, in the Mad Men era, you know, said people don't read advertising; they read what interests them, and sometimes it's an ad. Um, and <laughs> you know, that's kind of the the mindset we we take. People. People don't read content from universities. Uh, they read what interests them. And if you're yeah. lucky, it's it's something for, if we're lucky, it's something from Notre Dame. Yeah. So with that in mind, what are some of the favorite stories you've had the opportunity to work on, whether it's a faculty member or a student or something that's broader in scope? What are some of the things that really stand out as some of the work you're most proud of? Yeah, you know, um, we try to tell stories in our in our main strategic buckets, and so you know, I feel the most satisfaction when we've dipped into one of those buckets and really kind of brought it out and, and fleshed it out in a really interesting way. Um, and we try to give people a, a piece of Notre Dame that that maybe they're not familiar with. A lot of people are know we play football up here. They know yeah. there's there's a church on campus. You know, they they have some sense, but they may not know. Um, that uh, we're one of only two American universities that has a physical presence in the Holy Land, in Israel. So we did a series, um, we went to Jerusalem and kind of showed how Notre Dame is involved in that part of the world um, as, a, as a convener um, to different factions. Uh, and then obviously there's, there's obviously a faith message that, that goes along with that too. That series um, about our presence in the Holy Land that um, we did a podcast series and uh, three pieces online um, it's called Tantur, T-A-N-T-U-R. Um, that that was really cool. We're working on one right now um, that is another one of those things that you don't always associate with, with, with Notre Dame. Um, but it's interesting. Among its peers, so the institutions we would consider like Notre Dame, um, we're the only one located in a, in a manufacturing sector, uh, yes. a region that is where the economy is is built on industry, uh, on yeah. manufacturing. So South Bend Elkhart um, uh, up here. And Notre Dame um, has this thing called Industry Labs, which is kind of the platform to take the resources of a research university and make them accessible to people who are, uh, to businesses who are trying to compete uh, in, a, in a very difficult climate uh, for, for industry. And particularly when you think about the future. 
So we're working, uh, we're telling that story uh, through the, the university's relationship with a company that is the last major band instrument manufacturer in, in the United States um, uh, up here in Elkhart. They make um, uh, horns, they make clarinets, uh, things like that. And so it's, it's a really interesting story about how they're trying to go back and, and use um, some forensic technology, some spectrograph. I can't even say it. Spectrog <laughs> you know I'm glad it's you saying it, not me. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're using very scientific things, Anthony, um, to, to kind of figure out what was great about the product, what can we bring into it going forward. And it's all about staying competitive so that they don't have to move offshore because they, they want to stay located yeah. in Elkhart. So those are just two examples of stories that, that I really get jazzed about telling. Yeah, well, that's that's great. So, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about the higher ed environment because there's there's some people, and and by some people, I I mean sometimes me, who might think University of Notre Dame has it easy. All these other colleges are dealing with the population cliff and enrollment issues, especially in Indiana, where there's now migration of of young people. Um, what's your response to that? Is is University of Notre Dame? unique enough that it's not dealing with some of the other things that are plaguing higher ed in terms of ROI and, you know, do I even need to go to college in today's environment? Is that affecting University of Notre Dame? And if so, how you responded to it? Are you facing different challenges in your work? Well, I think, um, yeah, yeah, Notre Dame is still still affected by that. If not by the, the sheer volume, I mean, we'll, we'll get applicants. I'm sure people will apply to, to Notre Dame, but every university, um, you know, or I should say most every university is interested not just in, in the quantity, but also the quality of, of the applicants. And, you know, um, we are um, pivoting a little bit into um, some of the admissions work. My team doesn't focus a lot of that uh, yeah. uh, on that a lot of the time, but, you know, the right kind of student um, who is, is, is passionate about the things that Notre Dame um, is passionate about, and that's being a force for good in the world. Yep. Um, that's uh, using knowledge to, to help solve injustice. You know, those types of kids uh, are the ones we're really interested in targeting. So, it, it, and, and as you mentioned, the population cliff, those kids are becoming fewer and further between, yeah. um, you know, just because of the dynamics that everyone is dealing with. So we're certainly not immune from it. Uh, I don't think because we still need to find the right people to, to yeah. come um, to the university. Our challenge might look a little different, yeah. uh, but it, it's still a challenge, I think. Yeah, well, and I think that's the key is that every institution is facing challenges. You know, we we have the good fortune to do some work with Miami University in Ohio, yeah. and their imperative is to try to diversify their student base, um, something that being a midwestern stalwart school hasn't always been a strength and now they're saying hey we we may still get enrollment but we want to make sure the experience is rich and it's open to people from all walks of life so we're going to go after students we haven't gone after in the past and we're going to use different metrics when we're looking at the incoming student population and give people a fair shake who you know may not have always had a fair shake at other institutions I think that's. Uh, I think Notre Dame is, is right there with them. Yeah. Um, in that, you look at uh, uh, first gen students. Um, you look at uh, diverse backgrounds. I think that's something that um, we're paying a lot of attention to uh, as a university as well. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, I told you this was going to be an easy conversation. I just realized I'm throwing hard questions at you, so we need to we need to <laughs> turn it down a notch. Um, 
I want to turn to what I call the speed round of the show. I'm going to ask you a few quick questions. Um, by the way, there was one question I didn't ask you to explain what University of Notre Dame is because I assume everyone knows that, but you did a good, <laughs> you did a good job of filling in some gaps there. So the first question in the speed round has to do with career success. You know, you've, you've been in broadcast media, you've done some ad agency work, now you work in higher ed and on the content creation side. What's the one thing you've learned about being fulfilled and satisfied in a career? If somebody was, you know, thinking about pursuing a career path similar to where you've landed, what would you tell them is the key to success? I think the key to success is uh, not to focus on, on the money. I think, you know, um, I, you know, not to not to get too much into the details, but the you know, the jobs where I've had the most stress and um, the least amount of work-life balance are, are the jobs where I've made the most money. Yeah. And, and, and so that's just something to, to really, really keep in mind, first and foremost, everything in, in balance. Um, the other thing I think is you, you got to, um, you have to be adaptable. You know, the, the job that I have now did not exist when I arrived at the university. Yeah. And about 10 years from now, I think uh, for marketers hasn't, probably hasn't been thought of yet in terms of your your dream job. So your dream job today may not be around in 10 years and you might have something something better. I think the, the, those jobs will go to the people who get really good at the fundamental stuff right now and learn how it applies in, in a future context. Um, because I still use everything I, I learned as a news anchor. I'm just applying it um, a, a little differently. Yeah, I think that adaptability is so critically important. I just did a presentation last week to a group of young professionals. And Andy, I think you're about 10 years younger than me. But um, one of the messages I shared with them is that my first job out of college, I didn't have an email address because email wasn't yet a thing in the workforce. So, and they looked at me like I had 16 heads, rightfully so. <laughs> so yeah, you know, that's the one thing I try to, to preach to our team here at Asher is that we, everybody knows we have to constantly be learning, but we also have to constantly be teaching each other and clients what's changing and how to stay ahead of it. Absolutely, and I think that's gonna mean, uh, uh, you know, we we're, um, we live in this time of global history where we're coming out of the, out of the pandemic, and I don't think we we I don't think we've even begun to scratch the surface what that will mean for brands yeah. in higher ed, out of higher ed, across the board going forward in terms of what the customer, the consumer expects of you. Yeah, um, you know, you look at not to you know go off on a, on, a, on a rabbit trail. You look at things like. Um, Walmart is now paying their truck drivers six figures, you know, right yeah. out of the gate. And because yeah. they, I presume because they think supply chain is going to be really important, yep. um, customer satisfaction. Yeah. Going forward. Now, as a marketer, you're thinking about supply chain in terms of, in ways you've never thought of before, because, yeah. um, you know, you never that's boring stuff. Why would you market on that? But if a differentiator is going to be Walmart has the stuff on the shelf, um, now you're talking about a different narrative and different stories to tell um, for, for your company. It's just one example. Yeah, and and well, you're you're taking us down a productive rabbit trail because it sparked a thought. You know, one of the things that that I see changing is that you know everybody talks a good game with authenticity, but brands really have to be honest because it used to be you know when I was growing up, 
the content you would see, 90% of it, what you would see in the media was scripted. It was delivered by paid talent. It had the right lighting. It had Hollywood production values. Now, most of the content people are seeing is in their newsfeed from family and friends. So they have a pretty good BS meter. And brands are learning that if it sounds too much like marketing, people are going to ignore it. Um, is, is that enfolded into the work you're doing? And if so, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, 100%. Um, you know, there is some stuff that we, we need to put polish to because it's going to be a commercial yep. or, or yep. for the institution or something like that. But there's no question we've gotten much more comfortable with just iPhone video carrying yep. much more comfortable with just, um, you know, something with a low production value, which I think, you know, consumers and audiences are, are much more forgiving than they ever have been yep. when it comes to that. If the content is cool, if it yep. matters, if it's yep. any moment. Yeah. Um, and that goes across the board. You know, I um, when we did the, the, the podcast series in, in Jerusalem, there's some stuff that's hard to hear just because you're in this bustling, you know, yeah. sea of, of humanity. But being there and and the reason the content is hard to hear is because you're there on scene. And I think that gives you uh, more credibility in, in the story you're, you're trying to tell. So. Yeah, and sometimes, sometimes I think the raw, the um, the authentic, will far outweigh um, the overly produced and overly polished stuff that that, as you mentioned, people's BS meters just really reject out of hand. Yeah, well, and I will chalk up any errors on your part or my part to us trying to be authentic today. Yes. So this podcast, uh, yes, super raw. Yeah. All right, great. <laughs> okay, second speed round question. Um, University of Notre Dame is obviously recognized around the world. What is one thing that you don't think, and you've, you've already kind of answered this, but maybe there's something else you want to share. What's one thing about the university that maybe is underappreciated or a myth or misconception that you want to clear up? Yeah, I think, um, you know, yeah, you're right. A lot of people probably know something about Notre Dame. I, I, I think if I had to choose one thing, kind of one way to describe Notre Dame, I, I do think it is truly a place um, that, that tries to have it all without compromise. And, and so for us, that means you can have rigorous academics and elite athletics. Um, you can have, uh, you can still hold to your faith mission while pursuing inquiry aggressively and honestly in things like science, you know, all, all the fields. So I do think most people who work here are, you know, really bought in to, to that mission. It makes it kind of a cool place to work for that for that reason. But Notre Dame is truly a place that is trying to have have the best of both worlds with, with without compromise. And it, it's it's hard work sometimes. It's hard to, to find that balance and to, to find the authenticity um, that's required of it. But uh, I do think from the top, uh, our president, Father Jenkins, uh, all the way down uh, to folks like me. Um, I do think that permeates the organization. Excellent. Excellent. All right. One last question for you. What is a tip or trick or tool that you use in your work as a storyteller, as a marketer that you rely on that you want people to know about? Now, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It could be something simple. It doesn't have to be a technology tool, although it can. What's something you use in your work that's important to you? Yeah, so um, I'm a big fan of, uh, of of these apps that are like force multipliers that, you know, you might be a team of one, but yeah. um, they they make you look, you know, much more professional. So things like, 
Canva. Um, they're doing, we do it. We use a ton of Canva uh, yeah. and, uh, and our social presence, things like the headliner app uh, where you can just take photos and add texts. And now you have this, this interesting video, those types of apps. Um, I'm a big fan of exploring and using all day long. Um, yeah. Going back to what we said about the authenticity or, um, you know, the, you know, some of the, the content tricks where you don't have to have a production studio um, to engage people. Those apps, I would say, are, are things people should really look into and invest in because, hey, we use them and, and they've worked well. Yeah, well, I know I initially had kind of a snobbish reaction to Canva because uh, a million years ago, I was a bad graphic designer and <laughs> I... I started with PageMaker 6.5. That tells you how old I am. But I, I had this idea that, you know, the Adobe suite is, is kind of sacrosanct. And then I started using Canva and I was like, you know, this is pretty great. It's pretty easy. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I applaud you for, for making it easier on yourself by using a tool that takes some of the stress out of it. Get the job done, first and foremost, you know. Yeah. And yeah, obviously, if you're you know producing something more high end um, and you have the skills to go up to the Adobe suite level, Great. But uh, I mean, our our designer works in Canva from time to time. And, you know, yeah. there's no yeah, you, you got to give up some pride uh, to, to get good content out there sometimes. No question. Yeah. Well, Andy, this has been super fun. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for doing it. And someday soon I'll have to come up to South Bend and meet you face to face. I hope to see you and Dana on campus very soon. And uh, thanks for having me. This was awesome. That, that's great. We would love to do that. And thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope we'll see you then.